Today's episode is brought to you by RamShirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. RamShirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at RamShirts. Visit RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Make sure, guys, to enter the spring training giveaway. You can win a shirt from our sponsor, RamShirts.com, on Crush City Tees. And you can also win a custom Astros baseball podcast dugout mug. All you have to do is email Astros Baseball Podcast at gmail.com. Send in the phrase in the body or the subject line. Let's go. Send that email, Astros Baseball Podcast at gmail.com. Let me know that you want to be entered into the spring training giveaway. That's all you have to do. And without further ado, today's special guest, Angels broadcaster, Mr. Trent Rush. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. My special guest today is Trent Rush. Trent, thanks for coming on with me today, buddy. Rob, appreciate you having me. I'm excited. We're talking baseball here. The season is upon us. Yeah, spring training. The It's funny that they say pitchers and catchers report and the whole team shows up. Exactly. Yeah, I, I know. It's like I'm watching, you know, we get videos sent to us watching the Angels stuff. I'm like, wait a minute, th- those are some outfielders. Those aren't pitchers and catchers. I, I think everyone's just kind of, after after the 60-game taste we got a season ago, I think we're all ready for a real season of baseball. Did you think the season was going to be able to finish last year? I didn't. I didn't when, when we started doing it. And I definitely, definitely didn't think NFL and college football was going to make it, and they did. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, I have a tendency to lean on the more optimistic side. So I, I kind of thought things would happen and it, they would play out. So I feel good about that. I will say I was expecting more hurdles. And I think, you know, last year, at least in baseball, there were a couple teams that had issues. I mean, you talk about the Marlins and, and St. Louis had some trouble. But outside of that, I think for the most part, the season went uh, pretty well. And I, I just think that, you know, for all these teams and leagues, there's just so much at stake that they were going to be, try to do everything they could uh, to power through there. And that's uh, ultimately what ended up happening. So I was happy to see that. Uh, but for sure, there, there were times where I was I was definitely hesitant. I was I was pleased once once the game got off the ground, I had a feeling like it was going to be OK. But I was I was worried about it more starting than I was finishing. All right. So Trent is a broadcaster for the L.A. Angels radio. The host of Angels Radio, KLAA, you do reports uh, on the Angels for Major League Baseball Network. You have a podcast. Uh, What am I leaving out? You do a lot of stuff. (laughs) A little bit of everything. Look, at the end of the day, I get to talk a lot about Angels Baseball in all kinds of areas. So that's what's fun about uh, doing this and and just talking baseball in general and, and looking forward to this season. So not only do you cover the Angels, but you grew up an Angels fan, and you grew up really, really close to uh, Angel Stadium. 
Yeah, it's funny. You know, I grew up, you know, 20 minutes from the ballpark. And actually where I live now is about five minutes uh, from Angel Stadium. So I'm real fortunate to be uh, kind of this close. I, I've really never left uh, Orange County. I went to uh, high school, Orange Lutheran High School, which is about 10 minutes from the ballpark. Uh, then I went to Chapman University, which is about 10 minutes from the ballpark. And everything's kind of just been right in this little area here. Um, yeah, you know, I, I grew up, you know, watching – like Jimmy Edmonds and, and Tim Salmon and those guys coming through. Mark Langston pitched at the time. Uh, you know, Finley it was a big part of that, Chuck Finley. So uh, those are kind of the, the players I grew up watching as a kid and, and then getting able to experience the 2002 uh, World Series championship team. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, Tim Salmon was such a big part of that. Now he's one of the broadcasters for the pre and post on TV. And he and I have just an unbelievable relationship. And, and you know, Fish and I talk all the time. And and Mark Langston, I mean, I'll never forget my – well, I, I don't really remember it at the time, but uh, it's a fun story. Mark Langston was on the mound the day that my family decided to take our the whole group went to Angel Stadium for my third birthday. There were like 20 of us. They got group tickets and went. Mark Langston was on the mound that day for the Angels, and now he and I are, are super close, and we've done some games together. And uh, It's just real fun uh, kind of seeing things go full circle. So, yeah, I'm Orange County through and through, and you know, I have been, you know, Angels baseball has been a part of my life, uh, really, uh, from birth. Yeah, that was actually the next thing I was going to ask you about, so I appreciate you uh, jumping ahead to that. Uh, but you you were a fan, I guess, at the end, sort of the end of the 90s, the beginning of the 2000s. And so you were you were able to be a fan when the Angels won the World Series in 2002. Oh, yeah. No, I was uh, so born in 92. And I was but I was the kid. I didn't watch cartoons. I watched SportsCenter and I you know, was always studying the baseball cards. And I feel like I know some of those late 90s teams uh, better than even teams from like three, four years ago, just kind of the way uh, I was just kind of studious about wanting to learn about the game and um, was just kind of obsessed with it as a kid. I had a stuffed baseball bat that I took to bed with me every single night. I mean, I just, I loved baseball. I wasn't any good at playing. I was okay in Little League, but that's about where it stopped for me. Uh, so I kind of knew broadcasting might have to be a direction I, I'd have to go if I was going to be a part of it. But yeah, I've, I've, I've been around um, you know, loving the game then. And, and yeah, I went to the parade, didn't get a chance to go to any of the World Series games for the Angels. But when they clinched the ALDS that year, they beat the Yankees. And remember those Yankees teams, I mean, the 2002 Yankees, I mean, they had been to, to five straight World Series. And you're talking about just, just a superpower. And the Angels were like such an underdog. And to be there when the Angels clinched that ALDS, that, I mean, that was the toughest team the Angels faced that whole run. And we had a chance to kind of go back and, and reflect on some of those games, you know, while the pandemic was going on, uh, reliving a lot of those. So yeah, being a part of the 2002 experience was incredible. And then, you know, in the two thousands, really that whole decade, the angels were really, really good. I know Astros fans, uh, were in the national league for all that time. So maybe not paying too much attention, but but man, the angels in the two thousands were simply dominant. And you just kind of kept thinking it was almost like an expectation. All right, when's our next ring coming? And it hasn't happened. So, uh, now here we are, uh, you know, 19 years later, trying to find a way to get back, uh, to the playoffs and, and make a push towards a world series championship. You spoke about not being very good at a baseball or whatever, and you decided broadcasting might be the way to go. 
Tell me the story about uh, when you were five or six at your grandparents' house in the karaoke machine. Oh yeah, you heard about that? Yeah, that was uh, that was real fun. That you know, I I had I had a karaoke machine, but what I liked to do is I was a big uh, Regis Philbin fan, so I'd, I'd watch Regis and Kathy Lee, and I'd get the newspaper out, and and then I'd go and I'd uh, be interviewing, you know, grandma and grandpa, my great grandma and my great aunt Bonnie, and and everybody would come around, and and we'd want to, you know, I was like I was hosting a talk show, and I'm sure I drove everybody crazy because I had a, a loud voice, and the last thing I needed was a microphone and a speaker hooked up with it. So at a certain point, it became all right. We're just gonna unplug the microphone, and you can go keep doing your interviews and i would drive everybody crazy but it was just it was so much fun and yeah th- th- those are like my first memories of of doing that i had no idea what like being a broadcaster was i just thought that regis had a pretty cool job and i liked watching laker games with chick hearn on the call and you know vin doing the dodger games and you know i just great broadcasters that were around you know being in in this area that i listened to and you know that was just kind of what formed uh, a lot of my philosophy on on broadcasting and what it meant to do it i had no idea um at the time obviously what kind of impact that would have on me but that was clearly something that i wanted to do uh when i was real young so uh it was it was just it was just a fun thing for me it was it was a hobby more than i ever thought i didn't know it could actually be a job or career you started calling games at age 15 yeah i was i was doing games at, at 15 years old um, I was at my high school, so I went to Orange Lutheran High School. Maybe some, you know, some Texas, you know, high school football fans might be familiar with Orange Lutheran at least from that time. Uh, per, they won a national, or they won a, a state championship. They were one of the, the powerhouse teams out in California. Uh, they're in the same league as like St. John Bosco and Modern Day, really high-powered league. And our games were actually being broadcast on the radio. Now, I know that that's common in Texas, but that's not really common in California. And the reason why our coach did it was because we were kind of an underdog school that had just get brought up to be with the big boys. And he wanted our games mentioned in the newspaper every week. So there was a little column that said, all right, here are the games on TV and radio. And he thought, okay, well, as long as our games were on radio, that we're going to be in the newspaper every single week. So that was kind of the thought behind that. And uh, I got, you know, I was a sophomore. I expressed that I had interest in doing this. And the play-by-play guy goes to me right before the game and, and right before kickoff tells me, all right, now just remember less is more. Okay. Well, I had no idea what that meant. So what I thought I took it as, all right, I'm going to shut up. And I didn't say a thing the whole first quarter. Then we get in the second quarter and he goes, oh, come on, you, you got to give me something here. And then it kind of started. And I was his analyst is how it worked out. And uh, the next year, one of the assistant football coaches and I went down to Best Buy. We bought a microphone, a cable, and used one of the old football cameras. And we just kind of started sticking that in players' faces and doing reports and talking to coach and Putting it on YouTube, it was kind of the beginning of when YouTube was taken off. The very, very early goings of live streaming, we would do kind of single cam shoots, and I'd wear the headset and do games that way. And that's really just kind of how uh, my you know career began. It wasn't anything that was that was really given to me. I didn't really get hired for stuff at the time. I just kind of created jobs mm-hmm. uh, for myself and. I ended up uh, having a lot of fun doing that, and it was able to uh, lead me to do many other things, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, you went to Chapman University, and you started calling games there, and you were doing some nightly sportscast on the ABC affiliate in Palm Desert, and you're only 18 years old. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to Chapman at the time. 
And you know, they, they, so the, the thing about Chapman is it's a really good school for like broadcasting and really cool for, you know, they're, they're famous for doing movie stuff. I mean, a lot of Hollywood ties and our, we were, our, our department was a part of that, but really as far as sports are concerned, a division three school with not a whole lot of interest outside of fans and, and maybe neighbors that lived not too close to, or not, not too far from campus, that'd be pretty interested. So it wasn't like there was a whole lot of interest. There certainly wasn't going to be a, 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 you know, a big list of play-by-play announcers, but you know, me and, and three of my buddies that were all in school, we all did different games. And it was basically the four of us. We, we hosted sports talk radio shows. We did the football games. We did the basketball games. We did the baseball games. Um, and a lot of them were older than me. So kind of when they graduated, then I, I kind of slid in and did a whole lot more. But we were doing, I mean, my gosh, probably 100 games a year doing all that stuff between you know, football, basketball, baseball, you know, men's and women's basketball and, and hosting the pre and post game shows and doing sports talk radio every day. So it was like we were working full time. And and, you know, just up the road, we have USC. And I was thinking, you know what? We need to cover Chapman football the same way anybody else would cover USC football. So that was kind of our mentality. And we went all in and, and doing that. And, you know, we probably did it for about eight people, but we didn't care because that's where we got a lot, be- that's where we got a lot better. And, and of that group, you know, I, I think about some of them. Steven Nelson was was a part of that. And he's one of the big hosts at MLB Network now. And he's doing stuff on, he's doing the play-by-play for the NHL game of the week on NHL Network. And my other buddy, Joe Fan is one of the top reporters on TV up in the Seattle area covering the Seahawks. So, you know, we've all kind of been able to do a lot of different things professionally but you know we we really just kind of did the games for fun and nobody was really put you know they were just happy that have us and we did it for free and we'd sit in the press box and just kind of hang out and, and did the games and, and that cut our teeth and got better at the same time I was doing some stuff for Long Beach State Baseball real proud baseball program Jared Weaver uh Troy Tola Whiskey uh part of that um you know, lineage of players that have come out of Long Beach State was doing some of their games uh, for a long time too. And it was just kind of the beginning of uh, a fun taste into this world of baseball. I mean, in baseball in Southern California is such a big deal and there's so much talent around. There's always games to be a part of. And, you know, you can run into a lot of premier players just being around and watching like the college baseball, high school and college baseball scene in California is just insane. So being a part of that was pretty cool. But, um, you know, from a media perspective, we were just doing it for fun and for practice and for reps. And we, we've all kind of been able to carve uh, careers out of it, which is pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome story. Um, I also read that after college, uh, KLAA program director called your professor and asked if anyone could do uh, morning updates and you were quick to volunteer for that. Yeah, you know, and I, I still have a problem with my professor uh, Pete Weitzner, who I absolutely love. I mean, he's one of the greatest, he's one of the greatest people I've, I've been around that's been able to help touch my career and, and has helped me just immensely. I, I can't even begin to, to express how much Pete's been helpful to me at Chapman university, but, um, yeah, Pete calls me cause I was working for, I was doing some stuff for ESPN at the time, doing some college basketball, uh, college volleyball. I was doing high school football down for a local TV station down in San Diego. And Pete calls me and says, Hey Trent, do you know anybody that would want to do this? And I said, Pete, are you out of your mind? I want to do this. He goes, no, 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 you're busy working. I said, no, this is an op- I, I thought this was an opportunity to get into the major league club. Now, the job at the time, I was a part-time employee getting paid just a, a shade over minimum wage to work 
like three to four hours a week doing updates. I mean, that's what the job was. That's what I was being hired to do. They wanted a, you know, a college guy or somebody just out of college to kind of come in and, and fill that role, um, you know, inexpensively uh, at the time. So that was part of how that came to exist. And since I've been with the Angels, you know, I've just tried to work really hard and learn and grow as much as I can and carve out different avenues to do different things. And, you know, the Angels have been so good to me that I've been able to basically have a career uh, working in baseball as a broadcaster from from an opportunity that really started uh, from a, a low level, barely over minimum wage, part time job. And it's been really neat. Um, you know, how the angels have treated me and have been a, a huge part of my growth in this business. So you're doing the, the pregame and the postgame uh, on the radio, but you, you also fill in for the guys that, that do the radio and TV also, if they're a, unable to uh, come on or they take the days or the series off. Right. Yeah. I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to do some play by play. Um, on the radio side and in spring training, both on TV and on radio. So that's been really cool, uh, getting an opportunity to do that. You know, the first time you do it, you know, it's just like, you know, it's a a lifelong dream to get a chance to do a Major League Baseball game, and that's never lost on me. But I got kind of eased into it. Uh, 2018 season, I got, you know, brought on to be a color guy um, for, you know, a, a series uh, but Terry Smith, our play-by-play announcer, you know, in the final game of the series says, hey, you know what, Trent, why don't you do three innings of play-by-play for us? And, and that was kind of cool how I was able to get started that way. And then I've been doing spring training games the last couple of years, doing a handful uh, here and there. And, yeah, there have been other times where I've gotten a chance to to fill in, um, you know, on the radio side. So that's been – it's been really exciting doing that because that's, that's fulfilling, you know, a lifelong dream to do major league baseball. And, you know, I always kind of thought, well, man, if I do a big league game, I'd do this differently or that differently. But when I think about it, it's really the same stuff I was doing at at Long Beach state or at Chapman or, you know, the college baseball was doing for ESPN three. The the prep is, is not that different. If anything, it's a little easier at the big league level because there's so much information. You can kind of sort through it a little bit easier and you're not digging as much. You can find stuff fairly easily because everybody knows everybody. And, you know, the angels are the team that I have watched since I was a kid. And I don't, you know, there's not a team that I could possibly know half as well as I know uh, the angels just from, you know, my whole experience, my whole life being around it and and being intimately reporting on the team, knowing the guys in the clubhouse being doing pre and post game on radio and, and all that stuff for a while. So it was kind of easy for me. I only had to prep for one team really because I already had known so much about the angels. So that was, that was pretty cool to get a chance to do that and just get a little taste of what it was like doing things at the big league level. I think that that is something that most broadcasters probably don't understand the, the, the jump to when you get to the major leagues, it's so different from any other level, but just the level of professionalism that comes with that and the expectation to deliver everybody that gets there is good and knows what they're doing, but how you carry yourself and, and how you're able to, you know, kind of kind of lead that group and have a leadership role is something that I, I don't know that um, many people understand until you you do it and you're in that scene. And and my experience with the Angels has been great being around Terry Smith on the radio and you know Victor Rojas did the TV for um, the, you know the last eleven seasons as he's you know now taking on a new venture in his life. And you know Mark Gubaza and Mark Langston have been incredible to me. Jose Moda, so it's been pretty exciting. 
a big moment for you in your career that I was reading about was uh, you were able to uh, interview Albert Pujols after the game when he got his 600th home run. How, how awesome was that? Yeah, that was, that was unbelievable because I was 25. Uh, or I, I, had, I, had not, I was 24. I had not turned 25 yet. And I'm down on the field. And that was part of my deal was I, I, I do the you know, post-game interviews and the walk-off after wins. I'm down there to, to talk with the guys. It was different you know, this past season, obviously. But you know, typically, that's, that's what we do during normal times. And when Albert hit 600, you know, you, we were thinking about it for a long time because he hit 599 at the very start of a, a week-long homestand. And then that, so that must have been on, on maybe you know Monday or Tuesday. So then the whole week you're thinking, okay, 600's coming, 600's coming. What are we gonna do? And I'm sure the play-by-play guys were thinking about their calls and what they were gonna say. Well, Albert doesn't end up hitting that home run until Saturday night, which it gave you all kind of a whole week of buildup. But at the same time, there was an element of pressure because Albert typically doesn't play that many Sunday games. So you kind of thought, well, if he's gonna do this at home, he's got to do this tonight. And you don't want to see this whole homestand go by without him hitting that 600th home run. You'd hate to see him do that on the road. So you're just waiting for that to happen. And, and then he does it. And it was just remarkable how he did uh, a grand slam. And then being there to do the walk-off interview on the field, you know, there's so much going on. But I just took a moment to realize that I'm in the presence of one of the greatest hitters of all time. And I know Astros fans know uh, what Albert Pujols uh, did at this time in St. Louis. But I, I think that, you know, I, I think even for some Angels fans, because he hasn't been the same hitter with the Angels as he was with the Cardinals, I, I don't know that every fan can completely appreciate just how dominant of a hitter this guy is and in his place and legacy in the game of baseball. But on that night, in that moment, everybody recognized how special uh, of uh, a deal is that you hit 600 home runs. So I was super nervous at the time. I mean, that was my first like really big interview. I felt like, and walking down in the dugout, uh, Albert could not have been more gracious and we had a great conversation and he was so happy. And I'll just never forget that moment because that for me was like a real big introduction of, okay, this is, this is what a big stage is like. That was pretty cool. We talked earlier about, uh, Astros losing Springer and the fact that the Astros aren't really a team that offer those huge contracts. Recently, we had uh, Fernando Tatis with a huge 14-year deal. Mookie Betts had a very long deal. Uh, I can't read my writing. I just scribbled something down. Oh, Mike Trout. But, you know, Mike Trout's going to be good for a while to come. Uh, but let, let's talk about Pujols' contract. He he got a really big one, and this is usually like the example that I go to when someone's like, why don't the Astros sign this guy for 14 years or whatever? And it's like, well, eventually, you know, if you sign George Springer to a 10-year deal, eventually he's going to be 38, 39, and 40 years old, and you're, you're going to be paying him top dollar. Yeah, I mean, father time's undefeated. So you, you get towards the end, and, and Albert, to his credit, is such a consummate professional and is working so hard and doing everything you can imagine to be out there. But I mean, at a certain point, I mean, his body can only take so much and he's been forced into some roles the last few years, just with the, the way the roster is constructed. And with Shohei Otani being a DH, you know, that, that took away a lot of DH opportunities for Albert. So he's had to play a lot more first base 
the last few years too, which somebody, you know, at, at his stage in his career, he shouldn't have to play first base, but he's been doing that. Um, and, you know, I, I really admire the guy and the way he works and the way he, he wants to be able to do it. And I can't even begin to fathom how frustrating it must be for him knowing what he once was. And, you know, his mind is still there and his body at times is still there, but just not at the consistent level it was earlier in his career. So, you know, I have a lot of admiration and respect for Albert Pujols. But clearly, the, you know, I, I think when you sign somebody to that long-term contract, you you expect maybe the last two or three years it to not be, you know, the, the player that you're signing at the time in his prime. You, you know that you're getting the back end of that and it's not going to be ideal at the end. The problem is for Albert Pujols, he put up some solid seasons in the first half of this contract, the angels, but he also had to deal with some injuries there. And he didn't, you know, initially put up the same kind of numbers like he did in St. Louis, or it was a little bit of an acclimation period for Albert pool. So I think angels fans were, were, excuse me, were hoping that he was going to be able to put up those kind of numbers the first, you know, two or three years when he was with the angels. And that's what didn't happen. You know, a lot of that had to do with injuries, but um, that that's, what's unfortunate about it because I think that had Albert been able to put up, cardinal numbers the first you know let's say four years of the deal i think that people would have been a lot more accepting and understanding of you know what albert's done the last couple of years at the end of this deal here so you know you just kind of hope that the angels can maximize what what is left of albert's body and what he can do maybe maybe it means playing you know 75 to 90 games this season and just try to get the absolute most out of him as a part-time player maybe that's what it ultimately is going to be but he's also I don't I think Angels fans forget this too what Albert is as a leader and as a role model in the clubhouse cannot be lost that, that's a huge impact that that guy has so you know while you, you kind of look at the contract and be like oh well was this a mistake I, I don't I think at the time you, you look on it and you would you would be, you know, I, I think you would applaud the Angels for being as aggressive as they were and trying to make a move like that. And had Albert been able to be that guy those first three or four years, I we're probably not even having this conversation right now. My first memory of Albert Pujols was a uh, fantasy baseball uh, league I was in that was auto draft. And he just happened to be on my team. And he was just putting up insane numbers. And I'm, and I was like, who is this guy? This guy's <laughs> really good. I mean, I didn't know anything about him. All I knew is he scored a lot of points for me. Uh, let's talk about another good guy. How awesome is it to have the best player in baseball, Mike Trout? I, th- I still think he's the best. How about you? I think he is, too. And this guy is just incredible. You know, he doesn't see, he doesn't see pitches. You know, teams put him on, and he doesn't. You know, he walks a lot. He doesn't steal quite as much as he used to. But I mean, you're just talking about a consummate professional, a perfect face for the game of baseball, and everything that Mike Trout does. And he is just a really great, respectful human being too. And and I know that there's a lot that gets made of that, and you get to see him spend time, you know, signing the autographs and whatnot for the kids, and everything that he does, and those those charitable ventures that he is a big part of, but doesn't necessarily put his name on all the time. You know, Mike, Mike Trout's the kind of guy that you hear about the reputation, but it does make you kind of wonder, okay, there, there's no way it can be this real. It's too good to be true. But with Mike Trout, it is real. I mean, that that's who Mike is, and it's incredible getting to cover him. And I have, you know, now for the last six years to, to be around one of the greatest players of all time. And, I, and you know, I, I said this on Twitter the other day, how many athletes in any sport 
are the consensus number one for a decade. I mean, there's just not that many. I'm just trying to think of some of the ones in my lifetime. I mean, like for me, like Michael Jordan, uh, Wayne Gretzky is up there, Tiger. I mean, there's there's like a handful. I guess you, you probably could put like Serena Williams on that list and Mike Trout. And I don't think that, you know, you probably go further back and there's and there's some others. But I just think that it's a really short list of athletes that have dominated their sport as the top player, the consensus top player for a decade is an incredibly small list. And for Mike Trout to be doing that with the Angels and getting a chance to see that, you know, up close in person, it, it, it's provided me stories that I'll be able to share with my grandkids and tell forever because, you know, Mike Trout is, is a modern day um, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, elite player, you know, Willie Mays kind of guy. That, that's, that's who Mike Trout is. All right, let's move on to uh, 2021 season. Let's talk about this. I told you earlier that uh, I was talking yesterday with someone uh, from the Oakland A's, and we both agreed that only the Angels, besides the two of us, have a chance to win the AO West. And here's my opinion, and I could be wrong, of the Angels. The Angels are pretty big at picking up offensive weapons, but it doesn't seem like you guys spend money on pitching. Is that a correct? Uh... Well, I, I think that when it comes to pitching, it, it, p- pitching is where things can get a little scary because you have two options as a, as a when you're going to get pitchers. You either develop them, you draft and develop, or you have to overpay. And the Angels are trying to, you know, put together the best team possible and and be responsible in their decision making. And, and you know, Artie Moreno, our owner, has, is never ever shied from spending money. And you know, he goes and gets the big splash and and bring on Anthony Rendon a season ago. So you have Trout and Rendon in the lineup together. And you know, the, the money for Bauer, who is the top free agent this year, was crazy. And that you know, that's not to mention they're probably. You know, other things that you take into account when you're bringing somebody in like Trevor Bauer. So you got to make sure all that checks out. Plus the money part is is significant. So, you know, I, I think for the Angels, they've done a good job of filling out a rotation that I think can be closer to league average. I, I think that that's really all the Angels need to be. With this offense, if the Angels can have league average pitching, um, you know, getting you know Jose Quintana and uh, also adding on Alex Cobb and trying to get them to, to the level that we've seen before from those guys. They've really helped out their bullpen a ton by uh, trading for Rysela Iglesias, who was the Reds' closer the last couple of years. I mean, you look at the last you know four years in baseball, he has been one of the top five closers in the game. So you bring in somebody that can you know kind of anchor down that ninth inning for you, that's significant. So the Angels are hoping to do that by raising the floor and bolstering the bullpen. And it's been a complete overhaul in the bullpen. They had 14 blown saves in 60 games last season, tied for the most in baseball. I mean, that, that's incredible. That, that's so many blown saves. You cut that number in half, and we're probably talking about the Angels maybe being the team that sneaks into the postseason and, and not the Astros. So I think from the Angels' perspective, if you get your pitching the league average with this lineup, you can be a team that can contend and win the division. But I tell you, the key to everything, it's Shohei Otani. Otani is the X factor and the key for the whole thing. If Otani has a great season and can be the guy that's going to, you know, give you give you 20 starts and also be able to get 300 at bats and help you from both sides of the plate and be the guy that many people believe he can be, the Angels can be a real force. But there, there's a lot riding on Shohei Otani. Yeah, sometimes you have bad luck. I mean, you sign a really great player and he can't stay healthy. 
you know, sometimes it's out of your hands. I mean, you put the best product you can out there and what happens happens. Uh, what about uh, who'd you get to replace your shortstop? You, 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 got, you guys lost a yeah. really, really good shortstop. I, I think that guy Simmons is, I mean, from watching the games, because mostly, you know, being an Astro fan, I watch a lot of AOS battles. Sure. And he's, he's amazing. This guy, this guy is phenomenal. I mean, Andleton Simmons is is elite defensively. Now they got Jose Iglesias. Now Jose Iglesias can catch the ball too. He's he's not Simmons with the glove, but nobody is. If Simmons is the best defensive shortstop in the game, Iglesias is probably still top three or four. I mean, this is this is a very good defensive player, and he's going to give you a little bit more at the plate than Andleton Simmons did. I, I think that it would have been great to be able to keep Andleton Simmons, but um, you know. It was just for, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, the Angels ultimately went a different direction and, and ended up getting um, Iglesias on, on you know a pretty inexpensive deal. It was a part of that too. So I, I think for you know several reasons, you know the Angels had to make a move at shortstop. I think they replaced Andleton about as well as you could. I, I wish Simba all the best. I hope he uh, continues to, to dominate because I think this guy still has a lot more uh, in the tank with the glove. I mean, this is this is a guy that for me, I'm gonna I would want to consider as being potentially a Hall of Fame player because he is that good defensively. But uh, Jose Iglesias can catch it too, and he, and he hits a little bit better than Simba. So um, hopefully the Angels don't have too much of, of a drop off um, at that position because because we all know how important shortstop is. So uh, it should be a pretty competitive AL West. I mean, just being a hometown boy, I, I, I think the Astros are going to win it all. I, I'm sure the guys from Oakland think they're going to win it all, and, and I think you're probably pretty confident uh, that the Angels have a chance to win it. Yeah, I think that that's fair, and I think that, yeah, I think all three of those fan bases can make legitimate claims. I, I think that, look, the Astros, it's, it's the Astros division until someone takes it away from them. And that, I mean, even by losing Springer, I mean, that's that's the deal right now. Houston is in that spot. And the Angels are, are working to get there. But I, I think that, you know, Houston might not be quite as good as they were a season ago. And, and there were some things – uh, some things last year with that Astros team that would be would have been concerning to me. I, I hope Astros fans can appreciate how lucky they are to have Dusty Baker as their manager. I mean, I mean, Dusty is the best of the best, and I, I have so much respect and admiration for that guy. Uh, I got you know I was fortunate enough to be at a dinner one time, and I don't know how this happened. I, I didn't even. I, I should have been sitting eight tables back, but I end up sitting in between Dusty Baker and Tommy Davis talking baseball and, you know, talking about what it was like in the sixties. And, and I got into an argument with Dusty Baker, which was really stupid. Um, we were debating who's the best player of all time. And he's, he's of course saying Hank Aaron, I'm saying Willie Mays. And it was just a really fun debate. Of course I caved very quickly uh, to Dusty Baker, but I, I just so thoroughly enjoyed being in his presence and under and, and getting to learn a little bit about his perspective and what this guy knows about baseball is incredible. So I hope that the Astros um, fan base can appreciate you know how, how special it is to have Dusty Baker as your manager. I don't know that the Astros get to the postseason last year if not for Dusty, just with the way the last season went. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Astros are you know they're still the top dog in this league until someone takes it away from them. I know Oakland won the division last year, but you know Oakland is down even though they got Moreland and Rosenthal, a couple of nice moves, but replacing Simeon is a, is a huge thing. So I, I think the divisions come back to the Angels a little bit, who I, I think are a little bit better, and I. 
I think you're you're exactly right. I think those three teams, you know, the winner of this division could be at like 88 wins, but it's going to be an absolute battle with those teams facing off against each other. All right, uh, Trent, I, that's all I have for you. I appreciate you coming on. I didn't want to take too much uh, more of your time, but uh, it was a great talk. Uh, had a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I did too, Rob. And thank you so much for, for having me on, on this show. I, you do such a great job covering the Astros. When we get to baseball season, you know, when we have some of these uh, Angels-Astros meetings, we're going to have to have you on the postgame show sometime. But uh, I, I really appreciate you having me and uh, you know, getting, giving me a chance to share my story a little bit. I, I sincerely appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, thanks again for coming on. And uh, I look forward to uh, having you on again or being on there with you. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun when the season starts. Good luck to your angels. And uh, thanks to everyone for uh, listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.